0: Welcome to Off the Beat, the podcast that discusses all things law enforcement from a cop's point of view. My name is DJ Seals. I'm a former detective, crime analyst, and SWAT operator from the Metro Atlanta area. Now, I currently work for Motorola as a law enforcement consultant, but this podcast will never be about product or sales, and that I promise you. I came up with this idea because I wanted to have a place where we could have a conversation about current police issues without you, my listener, feeling like they were in a sales pitch. I would not listen to that, and I'm sure you wouldn't either. So before we take a look at today's topic, I want to thank the listeners. This is podcast number 30. Yay. I have no sound effects. Sorry. Um, And I was looking at stats on just, just SoundCloud. Um, that's, that's when I, I watch. we started with SoundCloud. I know I'm in a bunch of other, um, uh, venues, but in just SoundCloud, according to them, we have 3,100 listeners. We don't market this. This is all you, the listener. And I really, really appreciate that. One thing that surprises me so much and, and lets me know that, that, um, gosh, I don't know if it's just that we're hitting a mark here or if I need to expand out to uh, more international topics, but I have 31 countries that are listening and most recently added Slovakia, Taiwan, Vietnam and Mexico. Welcome to those of you, I do appreciate it and I hope you enjoyed today's topic, the rebirth of community policing. I am asked so much and so often <laughs> questions about community policing. You know, um, how do we do it? The the community's requiring it. What what's the deal with it? Where would it come from? Is it new? Is it old? Is it Whew. So, you know, I I've, I've, I've done a lot of speaking on it. I've got some presentations even on it. And I I thought, you know, I'll bring it to my listeners today because obviously it's a real topic. Now, you all know that I'm a a real fan of intelligence-led policing and, um, well, my own brand of it, but in general, intelligence-led policing. I'm I'm a real fan of that. And I was actually asked a question the other day. Well, intelligence-led policing and community-oriented, you teach a lot about intelligence-led. You talk a lot about intelligence-led. And now you're talking about community-oriented. Don't they clash? No, not at all not at all as a matter of fact i think the argument could be made that if you don't have a good community-oriented policing strategy then the intel coming into your department is not what it could be hmm so so let's just go back a little bit um you know i'm, I'm a stats guy um i <laughs> i was having a conversation with uh, my barber yesterday and we were just talking about all kinds of things, like like guys doing barber chairs. And um, he said, uh, "Well, I, I didn't know you were such a stats guy. And I said, yeah. Uh, stats prove the point. Opinions do not. And I really believe that. Opinions are important. But you know what they say about opinions. Everybody's got one, and I won't go into the rest of it. Okay? But... Statistics behind that opinion are really what make the difference. How can you prove it? How do you quantify it? So let's talk about community-oriented policing. It is a policing methodology in its own. It is not new. It is quite old, as a matter of fact, as you'll find. So let's define it. Community policing is a philosophy that promotes organizational strategies which support the systematic use of partnerships and problem-solving techniques to proactively address the immediate conditions that give rise to public safety issues such as crime, social disorder, and fear of crime. Whew, I didn't write that. That's a definition right off the website. And yes, that's a run-on sentence because there was almost no punctuation in it, but that's okay. We're talking about a policing methodology, not, not English class. But let's, Let's pull out a couple of words from there. It's a philosophy. Well, it's a philosophy. It's, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of being. It, it, it's a way of acting. It's a, it's a driving force behind what you do. Hmm. Keep that in mind. Partnerships. Police can't do it on their own. You know, I, I see all I see all these news reports, well, the police are this, and the police are that, and they need this, and they need that. I've never worked with a police agency that said, we don't want help. We don't want to partner. Matter of fact, it's usually the opposite. What I find is it's usually that they want to partner. They want to reach out. But the folks they reach out to are like, eh, I don't think so. I don't want to be involved with you right now. Okay. But we have to have partnerships. We'll talk about that. Really important word, proactively address, proactively, not reactively. I've talked about this a lot. Nobody ever pinned on a badge that I've ever met. Might be somebody out there, let me know. But nobody's ever pinned on a badge that I've ever met that said, I, I just wanted to be a cop so I could sit in my car and wait for the next call to come in. <laughs> no, we wanna be proactive. We want to get out there. We want to find the person who's about to break into your home, not the person who's already broken into your home. We want to find the the DUI driver before they cause a problem, right? That's what we want to do. We want to get out there and and fight crime, proactive. So COP, community-oriented policing is proactive. The conditions to give rise to public safety issues. now. They could have stopped there, but I thought it was very interesting. They said crime, social disorder. Okay, we we understand both of those. They're happening today, Portland. And fear of crime. Fear of crime. The, the perception that the citizen doesn't feel safe, whether they are or not. I had long conversations with many chiefs and... What we generally come around to is, and this is a rough question, maybe this is another podcast, but the question is, what's more important, what's more immediately important, the, the elimination of crime or the elimination of the fear of crime? Let, let me Let me explain. When a citizen feels safe to go out on a walk at night in their neighborhood, to walk around downtown, to park their car somewhere, to send their kid to school and, and, and know that they're, or feel at least that they're not going to get robbed, right? The feeling of safety and security or actual safety and security. Well, you say, well, actual safety and security, DJ. Yeah. Okay. But talking to the non-cops, and I know I have a ton of non-cops that listen. Do you know the actual crime stats in your city, county, state, jurisdiction, country? You may think you do because you're watching the news, but the news highlights everything that's bad. I mean, when's the last time you saw a, you know, fire department get cat out of tree? Or police officer helps change tire of motorist. That doesn't happen. You only hear the bad stuff. So you may think that, that you live in a, uh, an area of high crime. But do you really? All these stats are available at your local law enforcement division. You can go up and get them. That, that's part of what they do. But, but it's the fear of crime that I think is most important. When people fear crime, they live in a state of fear. We don't want to live in a state of fear. If we live in a state of fear, it's harder to fight the crime because you're afraid to go out and start. It's harder to band together with partnerships with police because oh, it's. I don't want to be seen as you know a snitch. I don't want to be seen, oh, they'll get me. They'll okay, I get it. But fear of crime is so important. And again, maybe a whole podcast I'll spin off on what in the world is a fear of crime. But when we're banding together, it's not just police and fire and EMS and all that. It's other government agencies. It's community members. It's groups. It's nonprofits. It's service providers. It's private businesses. It's media. It is a partnership. And you go, wow, you've had too much coffee this morning because you're talking craziness. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. But again, this is not new. You say, okay, well, where, where in the world did this come from? Well, let's go way back, folks. 1788 to 1850, a guy named Sir Robert Peel, considered the father of modern policing. He said, the police are the public and the public are the police. He said a whole bunch of other stuff, but I just grabbed that one right there. I mean, he, he lived for quite a while, you know, he said some other things. But let's focus on that for a minute. The police are the public, the public are the police. Now, first, let me say, Sir Robert Peel did live in a different time. He lived in a time where policing was quite different. Um, I mean, we're, we're going back to night watchmen, <laughs> you know, lamplighters, uh, people who would uh, just make sure there's nobody roaming the streets at night. Those darn vandals, you know, I mean, but but you know how they found these folks? They, they literally went out and said, uh, hey, Bob. You're an upstanding member of society, aren't you? Yeah, I think you're a good guy. How about tonight? I need you to kind of walk around, make sure nothing goes wrong. Cool? Yeah. Uh, Thomas, tomorrow, Thomas, tomorrow night? You got tomorrow night? Great, great. And they chose members of the society, members of the public, who they felt were upstanding members to trust that to them. There was no academy. There were no specific train there's no specific training in law. It was just safety. Safety and the feeling of safety. People would go to bed at night and go, you know, I know Bob. He's bank president. I went to school with him. He's a good guy. Everything's gonna be good tonight. But they picked people from the public. So where have we gone wrong? Well, I use that we as very broad. We as the public, we as the police, we as a society, any society in any country I've ever been to has this issue. Where have we gone wrong? It's rough. Sir Robert Peel also talked about the fact that the most important thing with policing was making sure that there was a personal relationship. That they knew the police officer. And I, I've spoken about this a lot. So, I mean, I hate, I keep saying that. All, all these topics kind of flow together, but. What I really want to get to here is people are demanding today that the police are more transparent, that the police are more this and the police are more that and the police are more this. and and we want the police gone because they just abolish those suckers because they don't do any good anyway. The funny part is, you hear that in the news, but yet every agency I've been to, the calls of service calls for service continue to rise. So if if the belief is that the police are all rotten and we should get rid of all of them and we should just go back to, I don't know, uh, picking Bob to walk the streets at night, who's still calling the cops? Apparently, a lot of people. But okay, so that gets me right back on track with this. It's good Cause why are they calling? Well, because they have a problem. True, but <laughs> why aren't they just taking care of it themselves? Why aren't they just calling Bob to walk the streets? Why aren't they getting a, a, a you know a group of citizens to go find out what that guy is doing on the street? Why do they keep calling the cops? M- maybe I'm a dreamer. There's a song that goes with that, but I won't. I won't bore you with that. But. I think it's because there is still a level of trust. There is still a level of trust. Or people literally would stop calling because they would believe what we're hearing in the media is that, well, when the cops show up, they shoot people. That's just how it happens every time. That's not how it happens every time. Yes. In the media right now, there's stories of cops that made bad decisions or stories of bad cops who just made their bad decisions because they're bad. We've talked about that. But for the vast majority, these men and women are are good people. And I believe that society as a majority still believes that or they wouldn't be calling. So where have we lost this? Public of the police and police of the public. Well, as calls for service rise, As cities get bigger and police needed to get cars and we needed to get helicopters and we needed to get modes of transportation that move us through the city quickly. And again, call after call, after call, after call, after call, proactivity becomes virtually nil. It's just jumping from call to call to call. And you say, well, we need more cops. Well, Wait a minute now. Cops are leaving in droves right now. Turn it in the badge. Why make so little money for so much risk when I can go work over here and make twice the money for no risk? They're leaving. So so cop numbers are down. Calls for service are up. And now we say, we want more community policing. We want more (laughs) engagement with the public. We want you to, okay, great. With whom? And I love community policing. I really do. Those of you who know me, you know, they're probably like, uh, you like to talk to people? No, I do. I do. I was a detective. I was a SWAT officer. That sounds odd when I say I also like to engage with the public, but I truly believe that the information the public holds is vital to the work that the police do. So how come we're not seen as the public? Because we don't have the time to get out and let you know we are. This is where these partnerships come in. This is where creating partnerships with civic organizations like, uh, you know, local women's clubs or here in the United States, we have something called the Lions Club. I think a little bit in Canada and all, but local clubs, civic organizations, hospitals, uh, you know, getting out and and just at least doing safety talks. And you don't get up there and go, uh, my name is Detective Seals. I'm an appointment on the SWAT team. I'll kick your door in quicker than I'll No. My my name is Detective Seals. Um I'm with the Covington Police Department. Uh you know, da 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 da. Um I, I volunteer with um um, miracle league and and i volunteer with um you know other organization and, and tell them who you are i have two children and and uh you know uh, one plays soccer and he really likes that and I'm, I'm married and i let them know who you are personally become the public i mean you already are but policing is a job that is consuming policing is a job that is definitive you say, my job is definitive too. Yeah. Well, the thing though is, you go home, and sure, you worry about your job. Sure, you you think about things that you need to do the next day. Sure, but but understand, when police take a oath, that oath doesn't end at the end of the shift. As an aside, I I used to get so frustrated with some officers who were, who um you know. <sighs> we're sworn to uphold the law on duty or off, period, period. And I get, I get so frustrated with some officers because I was like, uh, you, know, you know, you're prepared off duty uh, to, to act if you need to. I'm off duty. I'll call the cops. Look, ding dong, you are the cops, and you took an oath. You can't sit there and watch a crime go down while the other cops are coming because you clocked out. This job is a job where you are a citizen, but you're a citizen that's taken an oath that you are a police officer 24-7-365. That's different. It's it's very akin to it's very akin to military. You know, I've got a lot of friends who are in the military and, and a lot of those who've retired out. And guess what? They're the same person now that they were when they were in the military. They still have those same drives, those goals, those, those, those upholding morals. So, how then, if the calls for service are up <laughs> and the policing numbers are down, how in the world do we do community policing? How do we do these things? How do we let them know who we are? How do we engage with the public to create a rebirth of community policing? It's not as easy as you would think. So let's look at some stats real quick. I think this is interesting. Uh, this is the, the latest survey on uh, IECP, International Association of Chiefs of Police, survey of social media. Yes, I'm going to social media. Social media is the way people get their inf- information now, right? Good, bad, or indifferent, it's the way they are. So let's just look at some of these I've pulled out. And you can find this online, IECP's website. And, and for, for those of you who don't know ICP, International Association of Chiefs of Police, chiefs of police from all over the world come to this conference. It's the largest police conference on the face of the planet. It happens once a year, unless you're in COVID and then it sort of happens. But nonetheless, lots of surveys are done. They want to get the pulse, right? But for the most part, these are executives that are asked to take this, for the most part. um. So the, the first question I'm gonna put in here is, does your agency have a written social media policy? Okay. 69.4% responded yes. That's good, policy is the core, I'm a policy guy. 16.2% said no and 14.3% said, uh, we're in the process of developing. Now I always make a joke when I talk about this because this we're in the process of developing, that's the person who was taking the survey and went, ooh, hmm. Maybe we should have one. We don't, so I'm not going to lie. Yep, sure are. We're in the process. Yeah, we're in the process in the last 30 seconds. But nonetheless, 69.4% said we have a policy. Well, great. Policy equates program. Policy equates procedure. This sounds good. Until we look at the next one. Has your agency identified goals or outcomes related to the use of social media? Now, every policy should have a goal or an outcome, a reason. What are we gonna do with it? Why do we have it? Remember that 69.4% said yes? 52.9% said no, they have no goals or outcomes related to social media. By the way, 4.3% said they didn't know. So, okay, we have policy, but for the most part, we don't have a lot of goals around it. That, that's not so great, okay? But then we get to, has, has social media helped your agency solve crimes? 80.4% said yes. The biggest number in this whole thing, yes. Okay, so it, it, it's helpful. <laughs> For the most part, we have a policy, but we don't have goals or outcomes. Now, the funny part is you must because you're using it to solve crime. Huh. Anyway, then we get into you know who's using it, public information officer, chief executive, things like this, that, 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 that's good to know. But then we get into, does your agency provide in-service training? In-service training. What's in-service training? That's like roll call training. That's that's while you're on duty. Here's a quick training on the on-duty and off-duty use of social media, which is its podcast within itself. What that means is, as an officer in uniform on duty, how do I use social media? And as off-duty, at-home, personal account, What's that look like? Keep in mind, I said, this job is ever-encompassing. People know you as that cop. People know you. I I have a cop that lives on the street. I hear that a lot. What's his name? What's their name? Uh, I don't know. Where do they live? Right next door. Huh? (laughs) Introduce yourself. Why are you mowing the lawn? Something, right? But... An officer is an officer, as we said, 24/7, 365. So if they've got a personal social media account and they're a jerk on it, by the way, big clue on on rooting out the ones that probably shouldn't wear the badge. But if they're a jerk on that, if they're if they're if they're saying inflammatory things, if they're hateful, if they're that doesn't go to you. Joe officer off-duty as Joe officer off-duty. People look at that and go, do you see what that comp posted? That cop at that police department? You're equated, you're equalized, you're right there together. So we've gotta be very careful about what we post on duty and off-duty. So, what what are we gonna do here with social media? What's the strategy? There's gotta be an engagement strategy. There are actually three main engagement strategies, okay? Uh, One of which is outreach and awareness. We're just gonna let people know what's going on. We got a Facebook, we got a Twitter, we got a whatever. Let people know what's going on. That's one, it's like the lower level. Two is dialogue and participation. Want to talk to people. Want to get them to participate with us. Active dialogue. That also includes outreach and awareness, but active dialogue. Mm -hmm, be ready. But you know what? It's there anyway, handle it. And the third, the big one, which includes all those, but includes now community partnership. Remember that partnership, community, here we go. What does that look like? That looks like not only, hey, uh, you know, we're the cops and we're looking for this guy who robbed this store, any information, that's good, that's fine. But it's also, hey, our fire department is having their local 5K run to, to raise funds for fallen officers' uh, families. Uh, please join us in this run. Hey, the um, there's a car show on the square this weekend. I'm gonna invite you to come down to the car show downtown uh, and, and come by our tent, right? You go, DJ, you don't have enough officers. I get it, I know. This is, it's a rock and a hard place. So if you can't say come by our tent, you could say there will be officers on foot patrol to ensure safety. Go up and say hi to officers and name them. You know who's going to be assigned to that. Why not? And I know some of the the hard cops are like, I don't shake hands because somebody might grab me and punch me in the face. Well, maybe. But how often do you think that's going to happen in broad daylight at a car show? Probably not that often, but I can tell you this and this worked for me so well. And I didn't even mean to do it when I was a plainclothes officer. I did a lot of work in schools, talking to schools, uh, not, not, because look at me, but because my, my wife's an educator (laughs) and, and the other teachers would know, come on down, the, the the, the kids want to talk to you. I spoke to these kids. I knew these kids and (laughs) <laughs> more often than not, unfortunately, I get called to one of their houses that evening when I was on duty. And you walk in and the the people are wound up. They really don't want you there. Maybe they want you there, but they're still wound up. And just, it's just oh, it's, it's pandemonium. And out of the blue, you hear this kid go, Officer Seals. And you look down and it's a child you spoke to at that class. And you spent time with them and you let them know who you are. Out, out of uniform and in uniform, and the parents will look over and go, "How do you know him? Oh, he he came to my class. This is the officer I was telling you about that comes to the." Co-. And all of a sudden, you can feel the stress diminish at least a little. That that door of communication opens just maybe just a crack, but it opens, and now you're not so much whatever nameless cop. Now you're oh. Oh, well, okay. And you could see that internal struggle go on with some people like, I, I'm not supposed to like this person. Society says I'm not supposed to like this person, but but, but my son really likes him and he, he spoke highly. I'm confused. All of a sudden, we're breaking that I'm a citizen wall. And conversation helps. As those kids grew up, they, become the, they became the parents and they still knew me. As I became a detective and had to do investigations, I'd go to a house. Oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're Miss Seal's uh, husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember you coming to my school. Hey, man, what you need? And I, was, I was just like, wow, that's like a secret I should tell people. Well, imagine that engaging with the public works when you have an investigation that's community policing. It can be that, or it can be so full, you know, getting out there and popping up the tents, but let's talk more about social media. Do you know, with your social media page, uh, you know, who's running it? Is it worth looking at? <laughs> it's worth looking at at all. You know, I mean, if you just post here and there, nobody watches it, think about what people post. Folks that watch people, you know, the viral, right? They've got 5 billion followers and they're posting constantly. Now, here's a clue for all you you lovers of social media. They're not posting. They hire people to do that for the most part, but we need to be engaging. We need to be informative, useful, entertaining even, actionable, compelling, and most of all, shareable. Let me just give you one page. This is the Oconee County Sheriff in Georgia, not far from me. Um, and and I did not grab these stats lately. This is a couple of months ago, but nonetheless. Oconee County, Georgia has a population of about 40,000 people. It's not big. Uh, the, well, the county's kind of large, but the population is not huge. Beautiful place, wonderful lake. They have 144,647 followers on Facebook. Yeah. Look it up. Oconee County Sheriff, Georgia. 144. Now, where did they get the other 104,000 people? Because they don't live in that county. Because people are sharing it. Because they're engaging, they're useful, they're entertaining, they're informative, and they're consistent. They post things like, and this was a funny one. Uh, And, you know, I I realize this is a podcast, but uh, there's a picture uh, of a house being moved, like whole house being moved down a street. And it says a house moving is underway. The route is from blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. So it gives the whole route. And then it says um, the house is taking up two lanes and they end with, if you like being stuck in traffic, here's an opportunity for you. Informative because they're given the route. Oh, can't go down that road, this house. And they give the time. And then finally, it's a, oh, you know, if you want to be stuck, whatever. They, they don't take themselves too seriously. They've got a post in here of one uh, detective that's retiring. And they, they give his name. And they talk about his 35 years in law enforcement. And they, they talk about how he also served in the Army. And they've got a picture of him in, in by his detective cubicle. And, and he's holding like a cake. And he's smiling. And it's all that great. And and what's interesting, though, is the cubicle has like memes, like every office does, they print out a meme, they stick it on the cubicle. It looks like any other office. I don't know if they realized they were doing that, but when, I, when you look at it, if you take the officer out and you take the post out, it could be anybody's office. The public are the police and the police are the public. These people who chose to be police are public who went, I wanna do better, I wanna do more. Now, granted, they do post things like, uh, they got a picture of a guy here, uh, who, who, um, committed a crime and, uh, they, they say, Hey, if you got any information on this person, direct, uh, direct your information to this detective. Good. But there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of engagement. There's a lot of community involvement. They, they even, <laughs> they even did one, uh, a meme of, uh, um, a guy saying one does not simply turn down free ice cream because one of the local guys had made his, his, his ice cream and brought it to the department. And even the Georgia Bureau of Investigation found out and drove down to have some ice cream. I know that sounds so like, well, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in big city. Uh, we don't do that kind of stuff. I bet you do. Tell me, tell me that somebody doesn't bring in their mama's cake Somebody doesn't have a birthday, somebody doesn't have an anniversary, somebody who coaches baseball, their, their little league team's going to the World Series. Tell me something like that doesn't happen. Because if you do, you're lying. It happens. Why not let people know? Because they look at that and they go, oh, yeah. I think I played against that team. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah, okay. Or, or my son goes to school with his son. Wow. We've got to strive to be the public again. Once we're seen as part of the public and not just badge wearers, community policing lives again. Even if we can't get out there and have a community policing division of officers that go out and do their speeches and do their thing, if we can't do that right now for the most part, but we can still engage with social media Most of you have a social media page, but I'm gonna gonna charge you with this. What's it look like? When's the last time you posted? Is it boring? Does, Does anybody really wanna look at it? What are your followers? When's the last time you added a follower? Would you look at it if you were a citizen? Does it give the feeling of, these are just good people trying to help? If not, start it again. Begin it again. You can do it. Take control of your agency's social media. Take control of the rebirth of your agency's community policing initiatives. And now, let's take a look at some crazy, but true police blotter stories, and I'm excited about these today. Washington State, Man in Washington State did an impressive job mounting a full size slide on a child's bunk bed. And you go, so what? Well, here's the so what. Police in Pasco, part of the Tri Cities area in southern Washington, say the 400 pound slide was stolen from a local playground in December. That's right sawed off and repainted before it was mounted on this child's bed. And you go, well, was this a tip? What was going on? No, even better. It was recovered by Pasco Parks and Rec. No jokes, please, about Parks and Rec. I I read this and I could see Amy Poehler and the others working this out. I mean, this is like straight from the script. But nonetheless, the slide was actually found during an investigation of theft of catalytic converters for a warrant for this home. A mobile home, by the way. And the detective in there doing a search of the of the, the, mobile home saw this massive 400-pound slide and remembered the theft of that slide back in December. And she went, hey, wait a minute. And they were able to identify it. By the way, also found the catalytic converter. So bum, bum, Whew. police in the Washington, going back to Washington, police in the Washington city of uh, Spokane say a man committed a felony 20 minutes after his release from jail. That's right, at 10.08 Saturday, uh, this guy was released from the Spokane County Jail for unspecified another felony charge. At (laughs) 10.28, he carjacked a 16-year-old girl about a mile and a half from the jail. An officer spotted the car, pulled him over, got him in custody. The young victim identified uh, her assailant and said the carjacker told her he had a gun before taking the car, though no weapon was actually displayed. Folks, this is just a a pure incident of some people just really like to be in jail. I don't know why, but come on, man. (sighs) How about another car theft? Yeah, car theft can really work up your appetite. Appetite? Where am I going? Oh, yes, that appears to be the case in a story in Houston, Texas. Where police say a man stole an ambulance on Thursday night, then promptly headed to a local drive through to get something to eat. Paramedics were on a call when a male jumped in and drove off. On a call. And he jumped in, just took it. Um, cops say this guy headed about four miles to a nearby Jack in the Box and got in the drive through line with the vehicle's emergency lights still on. There's a clue. Cops, of course, got there almost immediately and got him on charges of felony theft. Now, uh, get this, due to Leonard's previous convictions for robbery and drug possession, they're pushing for no bail. Oh, my goodness. Really? You want a jack in a box that bad? And lastly, we're going to Florida. A Florida man not only didn't heed a road sign uh, that may have kept him out of harm's way, he apparently crashed into it. Yes, per the affidavit, police came across this uh, 22-year-old man outside his car around 12:30 30 a.m. Uh, in port charlotte uh deputy notes in the affidavit that his this uh this driver's mazda had heavy front end damage and that a nearby electronic road sign had been hit and you go so far this is boring dj oh let's talk about the road sign the road sign was one of those that said drive sober or get pulled over and you guess it this guy blew a .66, more than twice the legal limit for intoxication in florida and didn't even know he had hit the sign wow you know as we go along this journey together i may say some things you don't agree with or maybe you do agree with me and even have a topic you'd like me to cover like this topic thank you i hope this took care of it and now we can go on to others because i had so many people asking me about this um, and, or, you know, maybe you have a funny police story you'd like to share with me. I encourage you to email me at off the beat at motorola to give me your thoughts and ideas and check out my Twitter page, haha, social media at DJ underscore off the beat until next time, stay diligent, stay educated and stay safe.